Exodus chapter 3. saw a funny thing on Facebook the other day. A guy sitting his, at his computer. And he goes, it's funny how last month all of my Facebook friends were constitutional scholars. Now they're infectious disease experts. <laughs> Boy, you hear all kinds of stuff, don't you? Hear all kinds of stuff. Just gather up under the Lord. He'll take care of you. And uh, some people say, well, I'm afraid that this you know, virus and pandemic it might kill me. Hey, folks, read Psalm 139. You're not going one second sooner than the Lord is going to call you out. And you're not going to live a second longer either. So uh, that's in His hands. And just trust the Lord. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Wash your hands a lot. Be careful. And you know what? Uh, they, they tell you, you know, not to touch your face and all of that. Well, I worked on uh, Sammy's car the other day changing shocks. And uh, when I came in, do you know how many times I must have... You know, done that because I had dirt and grease marks on my face. And she goes, what in the world did you do? And I said, I don't know what's wrong. Then I looked in the mirror and I've noticed something else kind of creeps you out at this time of year. I will watch. And do you know how many people will come up and they'll go, hi, pastor. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, keep keep your hands to yourself. Keep them clean and watch those kind of things. And uh, we'll make it through uh, all of this kind of stuff. Let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 3, and the saga continues with this hero of uh, all generations here, Moses. My goodness, this guy is everywhere. And the Jews revered him, and Christians uh, honor him, and uh, he's recorded in the Bible, and he wrote a significant part of the Bible. It's called the Law of Moses, and Jesus lived by the Law of Moses, and uh, just a towering figure. But he doesn't really look like it at this point. This is a guy who had to run for his life because he had murdered a man. This is a guy who ends up in Midian. This is a guy who ends up as a shepherd. And shepherds were abominable to the Egyptians. And Moses had been raised as an Egyptian. So there he is. Could it get any lower? And, uh, well, maybe the Lord's got a plan. You know, we all have hope for that kind of thing because all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Well, that would have been Moses. But uh, most of the time when we think about God working all things together for good, we think uh, now. You know, in the next five minutes, work this together for good. Okay, Lord, if it's not in the next five minutes, then tomorrow. Okay, well, if it's not going to be tomorrow, then next week. Okay, well, if not next week, then surely next month, because God wouldn't take any longer than the eternity of 30 or 31 days, would he? And yet Moses is in there for, anybody remember how long in that backside of the desert? 40 years, 40 years. So whenever we say, oh, Lord, sanctify me, Well, I don't really think of saying, and do it in the next 40 years. I don't have 40 years, right? What in the world would we do if God took longer than we expected to make us what he wants us to be so that we could do what he wants us to do? And we, uh, as Christians, tend to fall into the ways of the world. We want the young, we want the influential, we want the powerful, we want the strong, we want the sharp, we want the contemporary, we want those who are tech-savvy, we want all of those kind of things. 
And yet God says, no, none of that works. Moses tried that when he was in his prime, and he ended up having to run for his life. And then God lets him sit, and he lets him stew. He lets him marinate. I saw a thing the other day where a pastor asked a deacon to pray. and gave him the mic, and this deacon said, Lord, I hate buttermilk. Pastor is just a little bit concerned about the man. And he said, and Lord, you know, I don't like lard. And Lord, you know, I hate plain flour. What would you be doing right now if you were the pastor? Taking the mic away? Telling Gary to cut his, you know, the, the volume off? I mean, what would you do? And then the man said, but when you put those things together and mix them up and put them in a hot oven, I sure love biscuits. And his point was, at any given part of life, you're going to get some things you don't like. You're going to get some lard. You're going to get some plain flour. You're going to get some buttermilk. And sometimes God takes those things that we want to spit out, and we would never take a big spoonful of it. Can you imagine a big spoon of Crisco or something like that? We wouldn't do that. But when you can combine them in the right way, and then you put them in the oven, so to speak, the fire, something beautiful and wonderful comes out. And God is doing that in the life of Moses. There have been several things. It's not optimal to be born as a Hebrew slave in Egypt, but that's where Moses was born. Nobody would choose that. Nobody would think that is optimal. And Moses not only is born as a slave of a race that is not in power, but Moses also is born when the Pharaoh has made an edict that all Hebrew babies should be killed. That's not the best time to be born. So his mother puts him in the little boat in the uh, reeds in the Nile River. Well, that's the place where all the babies died. That's not a real good place to be either. And then when someone discovers Moses... Of all people, it's that Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, how many strikes do you get before you're out? I would imagine that Miriam watching that when he saw the princess coming down to the river to bathe, her first prayer was, Dear Lord, please don't let her see the baby. But she did. And all of these things coming together don't seem like good things individually. But Moses now is raised in Pharaoh's palace. Moses is physically strong. He's got good food, good nutrition. He's got connections. He has been taught a lot of things. I wonder if he learned different languages. I wonder what kind of literature he read. I wonder what kind of things he went through. And God is using that to form him into what he wants him to be. He's probably trained in some leadership skills and other things like that. It says he's trained in all the ways of the Egyptians, and they were the most powerful empire on the face of the earth at that time. And Moses is in the palace. And Moses, the book of Hebrews says, by faith, he chose to identify with his people, the Hebrews, rather than enjoy the sinful pleasures of Egypt. And when he does that, he steps into a, a situation where an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew and Moses decides to be the deliverer, decides to be the rescuer. After all, this is his destiny. And so he ends up killing the man and hiding the body. 
And the next day when he sees two Hebrews, he comes to try to stop them from fighting. And the only reaction he gets is, who made you to be a prince over us? You're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And so Moses runs for his life and ends up in Midian, ends up working for his father-in-law and ends up being a shepherd for those 40 years. Buttermilk, lard, flour, and maybe even an oven by that point. You got to bake the biscuits longer than maybe you want to. I mean, if you're hungry for them and you mix them up and you know how to do that and you put them in the oven, it's going to take a while before they're done. And you may want to eat the biscuits now, but they're not going to be good until they're done. You don't want them overdone, but you want them to be done. And this is the way God works in the life of Moses and in your life as well. Combining all of those unpleasantries putting them together, and then, of all things, have I not been through enough, Lord? He throws you in the oven. And Moses is going to come out after baking in the desert oven at 400 degrees for 40 years. He's going to come out a different man. Because the Moses that is at the burning bush is a completely different Moses than the one who took matters into his own hands to kill the Egyptian. You see, when Moses stepped in to do that, he said, these people need to be delivered and I think I'm the one to do it. Well, he was right on both counts, just not then, just not then. Then this Moses that is at the burning bush, when God actually says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, this is a Moses who's like, uh, you've got to be kidding, God. Uh, who am I going to say you know, sent me. Somebody, I mean, is Pharaoh going to be afraid of me? I don't even talk too well. What, what do you mean, Lord? How are we going to do this? And so we find Moses. Sometimes we, uh, when we preach or teach on that part of Moses, we go, what's wrong with him? Why wasn't he ready? Well, he actually was ready because he wasn't depending upon human strength anymore. And all through that, what you find is Moses going, I don't have the ability. I don't have the ability. And that's about the time he's taken out of the oven. He's done. He's finally got humility. And the Lord says, you don't, but I do. And I'll send you. And it will be my hand that does this. And we're going to read about some of that today as we talk about this thing of when Moses finally gets the call. You know, when you run ahead of God, it's disaster. And you may be doing the right thing and your heart may be in the right place. It's just not done yet. It's not time to be taken out of the oven. My associate pastor in Tuttle, he uh, was talking one time and he said, uh, at Thanksgiving when you have the turkey, there's that little thing, that little button that pops out when it's done. And everybody kind of, uh-huh. And he goes, I just want you to know your done button hadn't popped out yet. <laughs> well, that's the way we all are. And Moses has still got some things to learn and to grow, uh, even during the time in the wilderness and all of that. But uh, at this point now, he's ready to do what God wants him to do. I want to ask you a question. There's a part of you that as a Christian, you need to be submissive to whatever God wants you to do. Okay? Whether it's to be the teacher in adult six, or lead some other kind of ministry, or help somebody do something. God uh, may call you not to a, a lead role, but maybe a support role. There's nothing wrong with that. When they asked Leonard Bernstein of the uh, New York Philharmonic, what is the hardest instrument to find in an orchestra? And without flinching, he said second fiddle. Nobody wants to do that. And yet without that second violin part, there's no harmony. 
That's what makes the beauty. And so we're all necessary. We all need to be in there. And we all need to be submissive to whatever it is the Lord wants us to do. We don't argue about that. We know that. Our problem is sometimes knowing when God wants us to do it. Am I ready for this now? And some people are ready when they're chronologically younger than you are. Well, how come they got to start when they were so much younger and I have to wait? Because God's got the recipe and he knows how long it's got to uh, take. Biscuits cook quicker than turkey, for example. And some of you are... Oh, forget it. That was rude. Um, You may take a little longer. There we go. Did I salvage myself? And so when we think about these things, think about this. David killed Goliath when he was a junior high kid. Moses is not called to deliver Israel until he's 80. That's God's business. And God knows how long it takes. And God knows when you are ready. And finally, boy, capitalize all those letters. Finally, Moses is ready. And at this point, Moses is kind of going, I feel less ready now than I've ever felt in my life. And I think about the time God calls you to something... You may have had all these ideas. Boy, if I were pastor, this is what I would do. And God may make you one. And about the time he calls you into that, you feel less ready than you did now. Because it's easy now when you're not on the hot seat. Everybody knows what the boss ought to do. Everybody knows what the president ought to do. Till you get there. And then you're probably going to feel less adequate than you've ever felt in your life. Because before honor comes humility... Jesus said you have to take up your cross and follow him. That's not pretty. That's an instrument of death. You are told that we have to deny ourselves. We are told that we have to yield our rights. We are told that we have to be broken like a living sacrifice laid out before the Lord. Well, none of that sounds appealing to me. I'd rather do it when I want to do it, the way I want to do it, how I want to do it, and take matters into my own hands, but it never, ever works. And it's about the time that you say, I'm not sure I can do anything for God that God says, now you're ready. Now you're ready. Because you can't, but I can, and I will do it through you. And so whenever I hear somebody that says something like, well, I don't feel like that I am really uh, worthy or ready to serve as a deacon. I put that person on the list. It may not be now, but that's the kind of person you want. The person that comes up and says, I think that I've been here long enough to be in leadership at the church. That's scary to me. That is scary to me. When somebody wants or desires it, that's fine. But when they are wanting it, in fact, I know of a church that split. And the guy that led the split was a guy that wanted to be an an elder. And he wasn't elected to be an elder, so he split the church. Well, that tells you all you need to know about that guy's character. It's good that he wasn't an elder. You following me? God has to do this work, work of humility, a work of brokenness, and a work of dependence, so that Moses is at the point in his life where he feels the least qualified. And that's about the time God says, strike the match, set the bush on fire, and call his name. So Moses comes over there to investigate something that seems natural and yet strange, And then a voice, the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus says, Take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground. And you kind of know the rest of the story. 
We're down here at verse 7 in Exodus chapter 3. And the Lord said, Surely I have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them. Wait a minute, I thought Moses was going to do that. Okay? Make reference to the introduction. It's God doing it through Moses, not Moses doing it for God. He's already tried that and it didn't work. Now, now he's broken. Now he's ready. And listen, it wasn't Moses. All along it wasn't Moses. It was God. So I have come down. Look at that. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Glad that's over. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold... The cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, my first question after reading that is, who's doing it? In the first verse, verses we read, God said, I'm doing it. Now he says to Moses, you are doing it. Well, which is it? And that is the secret to the Christian life, folks. That's the secret. You see, I don't know. Because sometimes it sure looks like I'm doing it. And I'm the one taking the heat in it. And yet then I find out that it's not me, but it's Christ working in me. So who is it? You know, even the Apostle Paul didn't know. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Yet not I. But it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I now live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, Paul, which is it? And the same thing is true for you. Who is living the Christian life? Well, I am. Well, I hope so. But then again, I know you like I know me. And none of us can live the Christian life. So if God does anything good in you or through you, if he does anything good in me or through me, it's got to be of him. And it's amazing to think about how the Lord says, I'm going to do it, now you do it. And that's what he's saying to Moses. I've seen it, and I'm going to do it. Okay, now go do it. So whatever it is that you may feel like, I think God wants me to do this. You're going to know when he wants you to do it. You won't have to guess. He'll make the timing clear. He'll open the opportunity. And he will supply the power. So when you go in there and you say, Okay, I've got to teach these kids today. Okay, yeah, you are teaching them. But the bottom line is, if anything's being done, it's God doing it, isn't it? If we're going to sing, Brother Dale has to get up here and he has to have the choir and the instrumentalist ready. So they have to do it. But if that's all we get, that's all we're going to get. But if God is singing and if he is playing the instruments through them, now we've got a different dynamic. So yes and yes. Who's doing it? Me? Yes. Who's doing it? God? Yes. 
And there's a cooperation. And that's why the Bible says in the New Testament, this is mind-blowing, that we are God's fellow workers. You see, if it's initiated by the flesh, then it's never going to be anything other than flesh. But if God initiates it, and if God is the one who gets into the yoke with us, so to speak, he's supplying the power, the strength, and the ability, but he's doing it through us. And that is an amazing and yet wonderful thing, and it's something we always ought to be looking for. Lord, are you doing this through me, or is this just me? And if it's just me, you know what you get whenever you want biscuits? A carton of buttermilk, a can of Crisco, and a bag of flour. And everybody says, come on up to the line, get a plate, help yourself. And everybody goes, ooh, that's terrible. And there's probably other stuff in biscuits too, don't judge me. And um, all of that happens, right? But it's no good. It's not until they're mixed and mixed properly in the right proportion, put in the oven and brought out, then we've got something. As long as you've got butter and maybe some sorghum or some uh, blackberry preserves or something like that. Yeah, I knew I'd get an amen somewhere in here, right? And it's got, it takes time as it's put out. Okay? So Moses, now it's time. And is it God or is it Moses? Yes. Yes, that's the answer. Now, I want you to notice something here because we're going to talk about the God aspect of all of this. God is the one who gave the land to Abraham all of those hundreds of years before. But it's been a long time and many generations, and he makes a statement here, I've seen my people, but they're not in the right place. In Egypt. Well, that didn't make any sense. Abraham wouldn't have expected that. Isaac wouldn't have expected that, or would they? Well, God, if you're going to call out a people and make them a great nation, and they're going to be in this land, why have you left them there in Egypt for so long? I mean, my first charge against God, if I were to bring a case against him, is this doesn't make any sense. If you want them in Canaan, why aren't they in Canaan? And then secondly, I would probably say something like this as I scratch my head. And if you're going to leave them in that land, why do you leave them there so long? Maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years or something. But you're kidding me? It's been several hundred years that they've been here. Lord, you're a terrible CEO. You don't know how to plan. You don't know how to make things happen. We are people of action. We got to have things now. We got to get things moving. God, you're way too slow. Charge number three, you know what I would say? And Lord, if you are going to have your people out of the land of Canaan and in Egypt where they shouldn't be, and if you are going to leave them there for centuries, well then, Lord, why do you make them slaves? That would be the next thing. Why do you make life so hard? Why are they having to go through all of this? Why do you allow cruel pharaohs and cruel taskmasters to do this kind of thing to them? I don't understand it, God. This whole plan doesn't make any sense. And then I would hear, Your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. And this Timeless, sovereign God would say to me, Shh, 
This has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. You just wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Four words I don't like. Those are my, some of my least favorite verses in the Bible when they say, wait on the Lord. Because you know what my first reaction to wait on the Lord is? How long? I mean, somebody's got to do something. And you're not doing anything, so maybe I need to do something. And some of you tried to do the same thing, and we're just like Moses. We've got to slay an Egyptian, so to speak, because something's got to be done. I've heard some people say, well, I just feel like I've got to do something even if it's wrong. Boy, you better back up, bucko. That's cost a lot of people, a lot of time and a lot of relationships. It just doesn't work out real well. You've got to wait on the Lord. Well, how long? I don't know. Maybe 40 years. Maybe in some cases 400 years. Maybe some of the things that are on your heart right now, that prayer will be answered in your great-grandchildren's generation, not yours. I don't know. I don't know. But here are some things that I do know. Number one, would you please notice out of this text the Lord's complete involvement in this whole thing. His complete involvement. God is never passive. God has never turned his back. God is never far off. God is never on vacation. God is never distracted. Nothing, nothing, nothing like that could uh, ever be true. In fact, notice what the Lord says about himself. I love this. Please pay attention to it. The Lord says, I have surely seen. So we know one thing, he's watching. And I have heard. He's listening. And I know their sorrows. He understands. He's got a sympathetic heart with his people. And then he says, and this is the most important thing, and I have come down to deliver. Notice how he is involved from start to finish. Never passive, never disinterested, never distracted, never fooled, never manipulated, nothing. God is fully and totally involved. And you know what? He could have said the same thing to that first generation of Israeli slaves, couldn't he? And he could have said, it's just a matter of time until you're out of here and back in the land that I promised Abraham. Just a matter of time. 400 years is not just a matter of time. That's a long time. And God would say, not in my time. For to me, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. You know what God is saying? I've got this. You know what he's saying to you? I've got this. You know what he's saying to our politicians? I've got this. You know what he's saying to the kings all around the world? I've got this and you're not going to change it. And so when people say, well, you know, everybody's believed that Christ was returning in their generation and it hadn't happened yet. You know what Peter would say? This is in God's hands, not yours. And as 2,000 years have gone by and Christ still hasn't returned, you know what? We're 2,000 years closer to the return of Christ than the Apostle Peter was. Should we be less concerned or more concerned? Well, the answer is obviously more concerned. Because we don't get it. God is more interested in timing than he is time. See, we want time, time. Time, it's time, it's time. I see the time. And God says, shh, I'm interested in timing. And I have seen, 
I have heard and I know all of these things. Secondly, I want you to notice the Lord has a comprehensive plan. What do I mean by that? Well, as a God who is all-knowing and knows the beginning from the end, God never has to say, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do now? How are we going to work this out? Because he's already got it worked out from the beginning to the end. You'll notice that in these uh, verses here, he says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land, a land flowing. I mean, it seems like he knows exactly what he's going to do. And he even knows the opposition he's going to face. I'm sure the, the Hivites were not real hip on giving up their land. I'm sure the Jebusites were not saying, Welcome, children of Israel, we've got land for you. They were going to have to fight for that land. God knows everything that he is leading us into. And the plan is comprehensive. He knows who's going to lead, how long they're going to lead. He knows where they're going to lead. He knows everything about them. He knows who the people are that are going to go. It wasn't this generation or this generation or this generation for those 400 years. It was this generation that he was going to lead in there. And he knew what they were going to come up against. He even knew about their unbelief during all of this time, didn't he? He already knew. And he had it all ready for them to go. And Israel is in that land today, all of these thousands of years later. I mean, this all starts with God. It covers every detail. He anticipates and overcomes opposition. And the timing is just what he said. Because God told Abraham this was going to happen. Did you know that? Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Well, it sounds like all of those hundreds of years before God had planned this. God knew what was going to happen. He knew Joseph was going to be sold as a slave in Egypt. And he knew that because he was sold as a slave in Egypt, he would be there to interpret those dreams and to become the administrator over Egypt to have food. And he knew that Joseph's brothers, the ancestors of Christ, by the way, were going to come and they were going to survive the famine by getting food from Joseph. And he knew that Jacob was going to move to Egypt to be with his family and so that Israel and Israel's children were all there in Egypt and it was all cool. But he also knew the times were going to change. And he knew that Pharaohs were going to come who didn't know Joseph. And he knew they were going to be threatened by all of the Hebrews multiplying. And the only way they were going to do it is by murdering their babies and enslaving them. He knew that. And he knew how long it was going to last. And he knew who he was going to bring up. He didn't name him to Abraham. But he knew who the deliverer would be. He already knew what bush he was going to set on fire. He already knew what plagues he was going to bring on Egypt. And he already knew that the Egyptians, by the end of the plagues, were going to say to the Hebrews, Go, and by the way, here's gold and silver and all kinds of things to take with you. Just get out of here. Get out of here. It's exactly what he said to Abraham because he's got a comprehensive plan and he does for your life as well. He knows how long you're going to live. He knows when you're going to die. He knows what you're going to die from. He knows where you're going to die. For those of you who are younger, he knows who you're going to marry. He knows how many children you're going to have. He knows what the future of your children is going to be. God knows your heartaches. 
He knows your joys. God knows your sorrows. He knows your grief. But God also knows all of the joy in the mountaintops that you're going to climb. God has all of it in control, tailor-made for you to bring glory to his name and to bring freedom and victory to your life. And he'll do whatever is necessary to bring that about. He's got the plan. I want you to notice thirdly, the Lord's commission of his servant. He says, come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring out my people, the children of Israel, from Egypt. And so Moses uh, cannot wait for this. The Lord says, come now, therefore. This is the time. Not ten years later, not another five years, not another twenty minutes. It's now. Now is the time. When God calls, you come. And Moses cannot decide to make a shrine out of the uh, unburned bush. You know, that'd be our tendency. This is the church of the burning bush, you know. We'll just stay here and worship. And maybe we'll hear the voice of God once again. And you know, there are sometimes God says, quit trying to repeat the unrepeatable. There was only one bush. There was only one bush that burned and wasn't consumed. There was only one encounter with God that was like this. The command now is not stay and repeat, but it is to go and confront Pharaoh. Go and confront Pharaoh. And there are some things that you just don't get a second opportunity to do. Sometimes when you hear God telling you, take this class, take this ministry, it's a now thing. And if you go, well, Lord, we'll wait, we'll wait. I don't like being tied up on weekends. We'll get to this later on when I'm too old to travel anymore. The opportunity may not be there. Sometimes God calls somebody to preach. And I could probably name some names that you would recognize. Of people that instead of preaching, they developed their career and they did all these things. Well, I've got my family and, well, when I get my kids raised, then my wife and I can move and pastor a church or something like that. And it never happens again. Because there's such a thing, the Apostle Paul said, that I buffet my body lest I be like others who have been disqualified. You know what disqualified means in the Greek? Set on the shelf. You had your opportunity. You weren't willing. You weren't submissive. You wanted a better time, a better place, a better opportunity. All of the things Moses could have brought up. And you know, there does come a point where Paul said, God just says, Okay. See you in heaven. That's a horrible place to be in. Because the person on the shelf still has the calling. And they still have the gift. Because the book of Romans says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He doesn't change his mind. You know the only thing lacking? If this Lord's Supper table is called opportunity. And this blessing bucket is called the servant of God. The only thing lacking is opportunity. And sometimes opportunities only come at the call of God. Now Moses tried to create an opportunity. And that was a horrible thing. But now God is giving him the opportunity. And it's time to go to work. It's time to act. And that's true for you. That's true for me. In all of these situations. He cannot make a shrine out of this. It is time to go. He can't strategize for a better plan. No, God says you go to Pharaoh. And Moses 
cannot fall short of the goal. What is the goal? That you may bring the people out of Egypt. Moses cannot say, well, let's try something different and uh, get a different result. Because too many times we take the goals and the things that God has given us and we say, oh, we'll do that and we'll get around to that later. But don't mess with our methods. We are rigid in our methods but flexible in our goals. And that's why we mess up so many times. So God's plan is in place. It lines up perfectly with the promises to God's servant. And uh, it is chosen uh, and equipped. Moses is for the task that is assigned. And that's basically the message for the morning. That God is perfectly involved in your life. Completely. He sees. He knows. He hears. He listens. All of those things that we saw. And that God has a comprehensive plan. He made you. He created you. There are some talents he gave you. There are others he didn't. And that's all according that he might use you the way he wants you to be used. There's a purpose. And then we see here that God will call his servants out. Is he calling you? Is there something on your heart you believe God wants you to do? Now the only thing you have to do is to say, God, is this the opportunity? Is this the time? Don't take matters into your own hands and be ready that when he calls you, it's the time. If he's burdened you, this is something he's burdened you for. There have been times when people have come and they say, Pastor Greg, I'm just so burdened about this. Good, because I'm not. Is that because I don't care or anything? No, I think it's a good ministry. I'm just not burdened for it. Does that mean it's an invalid ministry? Absolutely not. It's very valid. That's why God called you to do it. And sometimes people like to play the game of they say, I'm burdened, pastor, you do it. It's not the way it works, folks. We are a body of believers. And sometimes the most gracious thing that I could say is, you burdened for it? Yeah. Is it a good thing? Is it a biblical thing? Is the time now? Yeah, it really is. Then go forth, my child, and get her done. Let's go. And if every one of God's people had that, we don't pay anybody to do the ministry here. We don't just wait and say, well, isn't someone paid to do that? That means your God is money. You know what Jesus said about that. The thing is, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says that there are some of us who are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Moses wasn't a clergyman. Moses wasn't anything like that. He's a shepherd for crying out loud. But when he's called and anointed of God, he becomes a great leader, the third most mentioned person in the entire Bible. Didn't look so good when Moses was 50. Didn't look so good when Moses turned 60. Didn't look so good when Moses turned 70. And when he blew out those candles on his 80th birthday cake, I promise you there wasn't anything on his mind that this is going to be the year of greatness for me. He's thinking about that time. It's over. God's through. And it turned out to be the greatest year of his life. See, I wonder if this year could be the greatest year of your life if you would just wait on God, surrender to him, and trust him to open up doors that no man can shut. Gee, that's in the book of Revelation. This goes from Genesis to Revelation, doesn't it? Now I want to just end by saying, do you see the gospel in this? 
I look at this and I see people that are lost without Christ. They're slaves in Egypt, aren't they? Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. And their life is just nothing but bondage. They're addicted to all kinds of stuff. They're engaged in all kinds of stuff. And they're not living in freedom. They're not living in victory. But I also see in this the gospel that there is a God who is moved by compassion. For God so loved the world, the famous verse starts. He loves us with an everlasting love, his people. And what does he do? He hears our cry. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved is the promise in the scripture, right? And then then we think about what God has done with his people here when he begins to move And as he has heard, he says, I have come down to Moses. Well, he did come down to us. He sent his son Jesus, God in human flesh, coming down here to earth to live the life we could never live and then die the death we could never die as he takes the wrath of God and as he sets us free and as he liberates us. This is an amazing, amazing thing as God has sent a liberator to us as he has come down. And notice that there's also the power, I am going to. He he didn't just say, I hope I can deliver my people. I really cross my fingers. I want to really, really bad. Moses, let's see if we can pull this off. God makes it very definite. I have come to deliver them. And that's why Jesus came. Not just for the possibility, but the fact that you would be delivered. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And to think about the grace of God that he brings us out of slavery, makes us a part of his family, and then leads us to a land that is flowing with milk and honey, the abundant life. And after that, all this and heaven too. So there's a picture in here that God wants us to see of the gospel. That's us. That's our story. Delivered from Egypt by our heavenly Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. The power to take us out and the power to put us in the land where he wants us. And that's where it all starts. Because if you don't know Jesus, none of the rest of this message really matters. If you don't know Christ, there's no calling to teach. There's no calling to serve. There's no calling to do that. You're lost. You're alienated. You are out of it. But when you come to know Christ, He brings you into the family and He gifts you. Gifts you a spiritual gift that you receive at salvation. He motivates you. He teaches you. He disciples you through other people. And He gives you the power to do what He wants you to do But it's in his time he makes everything beautiful. In his time. Maybe not now, but that doesn't mean never. In his time. And in the grace of God, he may call you like he called Moses. Oh, you're probably not in the desert. And you're probably not going to see a burning bush. And you're probably not going to hear an audible voice. In fact, it may even be louder than that. The call of the Holy Spirit through the word of God as he puts you in place to do what he wants you to do, and then you wait on him to give you the opportunity. And as you do that, you find out like Moses did, as long as you're breathing, as long as you're breathing, and as long as you are submissive to the will of God, he can use you anytime, anywhere he chooses, because it won't be your power, it'll be his mighty power, working through you. And the more unlikely you are, and the weaker you are, the more glorified God is. Because people look and they go, wow, how did that happen? 
And our answer is, it's all about Jesus and his power. So if you don't know him today, my prayer has been all week that today would be the day of your salvation. So if you'll trust him today, that's how you enter into all of this. Become one of his. The Bible says Jesus died for his people to free them from their sins. To pay the penalty of their sins and to give them eternal life. Will you receive Jesus today? Will you trust Jesus today? That's what we're asking you to do. Now I have a word for those of you who have already been saved. Are you obeying the call of God on your life? That's all we ask. Just obey. It may be 40 years from now that he gives you the opportunity. Just obey. It may be today. Maybe you're resisting something today. Maybe you're coming up like Moses did with all kinds of excuses today. Well, just two words. Stop it. Stop it. Well, let me add a third. And surrender. Stop it and surrender. Stop it and surrender. Maybe today is your day to hear the call to salvation or the call to some type of ministry. And may the Lord bless you as you do that. Okay? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, that our ears might be unstopped and that our hearts would respond to the call. Some people are being called today to salvation. And Lord, we pray that today would be the day that we see them confess Christ as Lord and become new creatures in Christ. There are some people today who are being called to some type of ministry in the church. And I pray, Lord, that they are submissive to say whatever you wish. Not my will, but thy will be done. And there may be something they can step into today. There may be something that they're going to step into in a week, in a month, in a year. I don't know. But I know that if they'll be surrendered to you, you will provide the opportunity when it's right and when they are ready. So, Lord, today all we ask is that we might be submissive to you. Save the lost. Take the saved people. and Show us your purpose for our life. And we pray this for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.